Hello. Howdy. Howdy, howdy. Um, welcome to episode three of season one of the Well Society podcast. We've got another good friend on the show today. Um, he is a a friend of about I think around twelve. 15 years now probably. no more than that right you more like you guys known each other yeah, for like for, all your life for me uh, i think yeah i've known him since like i don't know like second grade um and duma yeah probably a bit a bit more than like a few, yeah, yeah 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 um yeah so um taritha welcome to the show uh thanks for joining us today happy to be here guys i'm very keen for this conversation Yeah man, it's great to awesome. get you. Awesome. So yeah, this is I'm very keen because we're getting someone who actually know what they're talking about. Um me and Dilla we don't really we don't really know what we're talking about. We just rant a lot. So um it's good to get, you know, someone who is knowledgeable about a lot of stuff. I think we've set dangerously high expectations now. So <laughs> Oh. Well. <laughs> it's okay. We need to give the people what they want. Um So let's do that. Yeah. Cool. I think um today we're just going to we don't really have a clear um outline of what we're trying to target um in this episode, but we're going to touch on a bunch of things uh mainly around colonialism, I think, um and how that's affected us and sort of um talk to Tarita about his experience around it as well. Um and his viewpoints. Um much like our viewpoints and I guess opinions which uh don't really matter in the grand scheme of things but you know um uh, it is a conversation after all so yeah it'll be fun to listen to yeah what's 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 the most common sort of question you get Tarita I know because well, I guess for the listeners so Tarita is obviously Sri Lankan but he lives in Sydney at the moment has and has been living in Sydney for a while just, now. Just so. doxed him there, right? Just oh yeah. yeah. Of, What's your address? Though? Just let me maybe say it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but um, what's what's kind of the first sort of thing people ask you when they you know um, talk to you? I would say there are three questions, um, like one of three questions, I guess. Um, the first one is how do you say your name? Um, and like my name, to be fair. I mean, I, my name, to be fair, is even complicated by Sri Lankan standards. Um, uh, and then the second one is some people like just circumvent the first question about how do you say your name and just say, oh, do I ha- do you have a nickname I can call you by? Uh, which I think is a very funny one. And then the third question is um, usually after a couple of like sort of minutes of conversation, how do you speak English so well or your English is so good, which is not a question, but a statement. Um, yes, it's one of those three th- themes which are interesting sort of, you know, uh, first impressions, I guess. Yeah, but, but your first name isn't that complicated at all. It's three very, like three syllables and the syllables are very common syllables as well. Like Yeah, no, like and, and it's a very term, common yeah. name in uh, the, the, the stem of the name is very common in in Sri Lanka, right? So you have Taritas, you have Haritas, Rakitas, and all yeah. sorts of variations of that. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, true. I mean, I, I, I mean, me and Dylan are same, same situation. Like those three questions are very common. And um, I don't know, I've, I've just been really, 
um, really like recently been interested in that that question around my name because that's kind of your whole identity I think and the fact that people kind of think it's okay to disregard that um, so easily is I don't know it's a bit weird because I go to some of these classical music shows and all these composers, they have the craziest names, right? They're like Russian and they, they take so much effort to pronounce it so correctly. Like, and then my name has like three syllables. Like surely you can just put a bit of effort. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I guess the effort thing is what I see as well, right? Like if you're going to uh, converse with someone for more than like more than one time, you should have the respect towards that person to get their name, right? Like it is a very basic thing that people overlook. And I think it says something about that person. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Because I, um, and I don't know, like people, I know my Chinese friends, they kind of have like a, like a white name, right? Like a Christian name, like a anglicized version of their name that they use instead of their actual name. Um, which is kind of sad to be honest. Um, because between themselves and in their family, they're obviously not using that name, but they sort of have to sort of switch. I think it's called code switching, where you kind of switch between that identity or version you press into, let's say, the white people, um, I guess, uh, versus your own community. Um, I don't know. It's, it's a weird one. Which is something we do as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, no, hugely, right? Like, so if, um, if you ask people who I associate in majority white spaces, some people who are mostly white, but also like other people who I talk to at work, for example, or uni, um, they would say that I am a quite introverted person, which um, to the experience of everyone on this podcast, as well as all other people I know who are Sri Lankan, is very different to who I am. So I think uh, there is a big difference in sort of, I, I at least I personally notice, or aware, I'm aware of two different codes um, and that's not necessarily something that I do deliberately. It's just the level of comfort I feel in those spaces, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. Like that's same thing, same scenario. Um, yeah, yeah. Same with Duma, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I mean, and it's so easy now that I can like switch between these two like versions of myself very fast. It's almost in- instantaneous. Like, I could be talking to like a wife friend of mine and then, uh, I know my auntie could call me, and then mm. I would just immediately just switch. Yeah. Like, and it's yeah, so so easy. But then, um, I I haven't had, I don't have any issue with it at all. But I've just been thinking about it. Um, and I think people should be more aware of the fact that it happens, and the the person that the other person the the version of the person the other person's pre- presenting to you is not the actual real version. I guess, um. It's, it's also something that, like, you don't... Yeah, like I said, it's not something you do on, on purpose, right? Kind of, like, automatically switches on sometimes. And, like, you sort of... Um, you don't even feel it happening sometimes. Uh, and then after a certain moment, um, they... It's almost like they know certain characteristics about you that you're not aware of. Because you've been being, you've been a whole different person towards them, but you know, you know yourself, you're not really that person. And then someone calls you, you're much more introverted. Um, and then, have you, 
yeah have you sorry have you guys had that experience where with like resumes and job applications like it's like as soon as they see your name it's like you know you're not the first choice i've and i've had that experience where i wish i had like a english name so i could just use that as my first name where because they see my name because my name's really long my last name so like, yeah you already know your chances just decreased immediately yeah i think it's something that i think it's something recruiters are trying to rectify definitely um through personal experience as well like they've been more accommodating towards that they try to like um they definitely like don't use that against you um but again like they try not to right yeah they try not to but there is this like bias like um secret bias in your in your head perhaps because of that and that's that's again like not a fault towards them but it's like this thing that's been instilled inside them for throughout history i guess yeah, yeah. i mean everyone has unconscious bias and yes. it's, it's a product of you know everything that's happened to you all your experiences through life i think the the objective is not to get rid of all your biases but just to be aware of them and then be aware that they exist yeah, there's pretty good research just um, around sort of resume screening and how people with um, ethnic names, let's call them, or non-Anglo-Saxon names um, are far more uh, disadvantaged in this entire process. Um, it's a very interesting one. And the place where I've probably seen it is not in resume screening uh, personally, but like is in like networking conversations because often you engage in these spaces which are like really loud, right? There are lots of people talking, lots of people trying to get attention and stuff like that. And then you go and one guy's like, my name's Tim, another guy's like John, James, whatever. And then you're like, oh, it's Tarita. And then the third person who's usually like an old white guy has to ask you like five times what your name is. And you've already got off to this networking conversation on the wrong foot. Like I just always feel like a bit uh, self-aware, but I feel like personally I'm, of the stance that like, you know, as I said earlier, you should have the respect to sort of get someone's name, right? Um, although that is a bit odd in the networking context, right? Because it's a bit of a weird situation anyways, people trying to talk to each other for personal and professional gain, so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, with like, with like when I, I don't know, when I go to a coffee shop or something yes. and they- I was about coffee. to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I can't, I don't have the yeah. energy to go through the experience for the 500th time today so i'll just give you like well just a just some easy name for you to just write down um but i, I don't know i think it's <laughs> it's like my name's not that hard it's like you know, it's three syllables I, I think in but all of our names are like three syllables and they're not diphthongs meaning they're not they're not sounds they can't produce like um most westerners can produce those sounds because they're in the english la- language um and it's it's just just people not putting in the effort, I think, or thinking, or just being ignorant to the fact that it means so much to another person if they get their name right. And they also, I think, forget the fact that it also works in reverse. Where I know, like my parents can sometimes have a hard time trying to pronounce or getting English names right. Right. So if we put in the effort to get your name right, because it's not. It's your name is not easy for us as it is to you. And we put in the effort and the whole, you know, community, all the communities that are not 
English, I guess, have put in that effort in. So I think people do need to be a bit more aware of it. So the question to me is, are people putting the effort in on uh, purpose or have they been forced to put the effort in in the past? And because of that, <laughs> they are far more familiar with John, James and Anne than they are with Tarita, Dumidu and Dulana. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it's like I was telling Duma about this like as well, um, where literally they say, they say your name and like, am I getting this right? Am I pronouncing it right? And you think like your initial feelings, like it's almost like out of curtsy and like um, compassionate almost. But then like, then you're thinking like, are they saying that as a follow up or like, are they saying that as a, uh, trying to deceive you to like uh, make, make, make sure like you think that they're putting in the effort for it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think I gotta be good with it. I, I, I get, frustrated sometimes um with that but i think i need to be um willing to help them you know say my name properly because it's you know honestly it can be hard because if you haven't heard that word before Mm. so um i think both sides need to be aware of it and sort of help each other i think yeah especially because like the like it's uh, the same for both you and i it's like the du um letters in, in our name is not the same thing when it's converted when you actually speak in single it's like it's do not do and like almost like unconsciously now i introduce myself as dulana not dulana uh, which, which the latter is the correct version of it and like i have become adjusted um to it almost yeah i, I don't even respond to my full name like it's so weird like i can't i don't identify myself myself with my first name like it's been like my full first name i've been here so long that it's gone out of, I don't know, it's like, it's not in my, it's not in my head anymore. Like I don't, when people call me that, it, feel, it feels weird. Like it doesn't feel like me. Um, but um, maybe let's, I think we're going down this rabbit hole of names for yeah. too long. Maybe we'll just bring it back to what sort of Tarita was pointing out. The fact that, you know, have you been sort of conditioned and forced to sort of get used to sort of Western culture, right? Which brings us to colonialism in Sri Lanka. So, um, yeah, for those of, for all the listeners who don't know about the exact timeline and the, the factuals uh, behind um, the colonization in Sri Lanka. So the Portuguese intervention happened in 1505 and that lasted um, close to 90 years, I think, and it lasted to 1594. And, um, and then I think the Dutch captured Colombo and uh, well they first made a treaty in 1638 and then they captured colombo in 1656 um and then the after the invasion of the portuguese and the dutch colonial sri lanka started the british ceylon period um where the british invaded um the kingdom of kandy which was the kingdom of sri lanka at the time in 1803 um, and then after a few, uh, back and forth and, uh, fighting back from the Sinhalese, um, uh, 1815, I think, uh, was when the independence of Sri Lanka was, uh, well, at the time, uh, fully, uh, finished <laughs> and, uh, 
yeah, that was I think when like the Uwa rebellion was also uh, suppressed, uh, and yeah, by I think around the <laughs> mid nineteenth century, um, it's basically uh, Ceylon. <laughs> Yes, one. Yeah. That's that's crazy because that's what, what more than four hundred years of colonization, right? Yep. That's that's a long time. That's what four generations at least, five generations of like say so it's it's very ingrained in our culture. I mean, don't you have like a Portuguese name? Do that like a middle name or something? Yeah, well, my my I do. <laughs> uh, I my dad was good enough to cut off like the Pereira part. Um, but yeah, he, he does. I mean, my my father's family has a, a Pereira part. Yes, I guess that's an interesting um, tidbit, right? So the most common name in Sri Lanka is Pereira from the Portuguese Pereira, basically. And then there are other very common names, which are Fernando, Fonseca, which are all um, sort of Portuguese-derived names. De Silva, yeah, which are all very common names in Sri Lanka. So all the most common names, to be honest. Um, yeah. Yeah, true. And it's um, yeah, it's super interesting because you wouldn't think like if you tell that to someone who doesn't know much about Sri Lanka, they'll be you know, they're always like they're always taken aback when I tell them you know we've been colonized for more than four hundred years, like close to five hundred years, um, and that kind of answers all those questions like the questions they ask us right like why do you speak English so well like probably because we've been colonized for five hundred years like yeah I mean like he literally born and then you learn english <laughs> it's almost like you're born with a bilingual um brain um yeah <laughs> yeah so i guess the important context is like the end was in 1948 is when sri lanka got independence yeah. from the from the british empire and it's been uh circa 70 years of independence uh but from 1948 to 1972 sri lanka was still called ceylon and then we undertook this new name of Sri Lanka in 1972 when we ratified uh, our new constitution, which is sort of what we broadly operate under uh, today. Although there have been like a couple of amendments, and yeah, yeah. And and just just to touch just to touch on something that um, just so we don't we give a bit more context, right? Um, we like the history of Sri Lanka goes back to like. You know, like, so, like, even indigenous, like, Sri Lankans, like, they've been there for, like, 40,000 years. And, like, um, the, the records, I wouldn't say records, but, like, the folklore and the stories that are being uh, passed on through generations, I think they predate the, the birth of Christ, all of that as well. Yeah, um, I mean, they've been, they've been uh, in, like, there's texts, like, the Mahavansa, Deepavansa and stuff, right, written in Pali at the time they have historical records of Sri Lanka. Even in India, there's records of Sri Lanka. Um, and like Tommy's map has Sri Lanka in it. So it's 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 a very old country. It's not, because it's such a good, as a, from a sort of logistical point of view for sort of the shipping trade, it's a very good spot. Um, so it's been a, you know, point of interest for a lot of, a lot of other countries for a long time. So this is probably not the first time we were colonized. Um, I guess, um, but it's been happening through through history. Um, I, I guess it's important to like distinguish between 
um, the, the difference between a colony such as Australia uh, versus a colony like Sri Lanka, which uh, is something interesting to talk about. Yeah, I guess so. I think people always tend to think of colonialism in a very similar light, like Australia, Canada, America, and India, Sri Lanka, and all the colonies in the continent of Africa um, are very different colonies. There are settler colonies, which are Australia, Canada, um, the United States, and then there are the rest. Um, often in settler colonies, what you see is because the people who ended up going there were white, were Anglo-Saxon, there was a larger, larger um, transfer of capital knowledge and technology into those countries, which then gave them the foundations for growth. Um, obviously, in the settler colonies, there were heinous crimes committed against the indigenous peoples of those territories. Um, and that's very much true in sort of the countries that we are from as well, right? So in Sri Lanka as well, the Uwavellasa uh, Kerala, the Uwavellasa Rebellion of 1818, which is what talked about slightly earlier, um, the, uh, was a sort of local uprising towards British rule, uh, which resulted in allegedly every single male above the age of 18 in Uwavellasa getting murdered um, as a, as a, as a, as um, sort of a scorched earth policy to crush the rebellion. Um, and those can't stay, right? But then also the other part, which uh, the original point is that um, those colonies were viewed as cash cows in a way, right? So you want to take all the resources from India, from Sri Lanka, from, from Africa, and then send them to the European nations who were the uh, colonial overlords of these countries. Um, and the thing that you see often is um, some of those some of those resources are still there, right? So like you see statues, uh, ancient 2,500-year-old statues from Sri Lanka and India in British museums. You see the the Queen's uh, crown has like jewels from um, from uh, sort of mines in Sri Lanka, which are very famous for emerald emeralds, uh, very high quality emeralds. So yeah, those uh, colonial vestiges, even like sort of 70, 80 years after the end of colonialism are still very much uh, visible around the world. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, like the, the British Museum is, it's a joke really, like, it's like, <laughs> it's all looted, like artifacts. It's 90%, it's all from their colonies. And it makes no sense. You go there and it's like, if you, I haven't been like, I know my family has, um, but people who visit that, it's like, well, I'm just looking at my own, like, stuff from my own country. This is, like, nothing related to the British. Like, it's, um, it's, it's so weird. Um, but, yeah. yeah. Is that going in? I don't know. <laughs> More work for you, bro. <laughs> There is a very paternalistic attitude even in these museums, right? Because an argument I've often heard is um, if we return these, whatever it is, like let's say it is a statue back to Sri Lanka, uh, they'll sort of destroy it and we're going to lose this important part of history. Um, and who who the arbiter of that should be is up for dispute, I guess, globally. But my strong view is it's up to the country of origin to decide whether they keep an artifact or not. 
lots of things have been lost to sort of the times of sort of like the, to just a, to just time right like as things just like disintegrates if someone loses a statue okay it's lost but it, it's equally lost to the people of that country for it to be sitting in some museum in london uh, where sort of uh, middle-aged white women and men go and look at it and go like oh my god it's a beautiful statue so <laughs> Good, good accent, man. He's just matching. Good. He's just matching the energy I put out. Just now. <laughs> this is just going sideways. Now. Yeah. No, that was that was a really good point. That was yeah. a really good point, though, because I, I didn't think of it that way. Yeah, you're right. Like if it's, if it's there in a museum in another country, it's kind of lost to the people of that country, right? That that is very true. Yeah, and and some people will make the argument, why don't you go and visit that museum, right? But you have to think about this from a logical sense, that for the average Australian teenager, it's viable that they'll go on a you know nice European holiday to find themselves. The average Sri Lankan teenager is not going to the next village. Like they do not have the money to go and visit some museum in London to go and look at sort of some statue, right? So like, yeah, I guess it's or, or like the like the authority, right? Like the the passport. Oh, for um, sure, yes. Yeah, so like yeah. that that in itself is like another limitation. That we... Yeah, we literally, like the the passport is like, it's kind of like blacklisted, right? Like we, it's so much, we got to go through so many hurdles to just go to a country, whereas, yeah, you can just don't even need a visa, just buy your tickets, one-way tickets, go and visit. Because um, I got a lot of mates who are like, um, you know, we should go, like, we should go to Europe. I'm like, I don't think you understand how it works for me. I can't just like go like there's so many hurdles I need to go through um and also I was like because I'm doing my visa stuff and I just realized that all the white people they're called expats and then we are called immigrants like what's the difference do you know Tarit? Uh, so expats the difference versus... the te- technical difference I think or what I've what I've heard in the past is expats are people who are temporary residents so they're not here to sort of migrate from whatever their home country is to this country uh, mm-hmm. But my immigrants are people who are coming here to stay, although I think that is a very fuzzy sort of um, bullshit sort of uh, demarcation, <laughs> which is built to once again sort of show the difference between the whites and the non-whites, right? Or the haves yeah. and have nots. Yeah, 100%, because, I mean, lots of people come here to, you know, work temporarily and go back um, or study temporarily and go back. And they're not ex- expats, they're immigrants, um all right so i think we should touch upon and talk about um how um people like us people who like migrate um look down upon uh our country and like talk bad about it i guess like talk about how shitty it is back there then how like different things are and how like we've become accommodated to like living in this western culture basically um what are your thoughts on that i think there's two sides to it because people back in the home country would be like you know looking at the migrants being you know they've sort of you know sold themselves kind of you know like they're losing their um nationality they're losing their culture whereas people in people who've already migrated looking back at sri lanka would be like you know, everything's like it's so much better here like why is it why are you still stuck in that you know old system right um and even people within sri lanka have that little sort of i don't know 
always place places the colonials as an authoritative figure um sort of thinking everything they not like subconsciously like everything that's foreign is just somehow better inherently which usually isn't the case yeah and i find people can often be very cynical about sort of situations which happened back in Sri Lanka when they were living there, like how bad the politics is, how how bad everything is. Like, you know, the buses are crowded, the roads are sort of, people don't follow the road rules all that well. And like all these things, right? Like, so I think I'll give you an example to sort of illustrate what I'm talking about. So people often talk about road rules, right? So road rules is a big difference between Sri Lanka and Australia, for example. People don't follow the road rules to the same extent in Sri Lanka that they do in Australia. And that's a common experience, right? So if anyone goes overseas, you'll be able to relate to the fact that the roads are kind of crazy. Um, And people tend to assign this to a moral deficiency. So you often hear people, like even my father and all, like they talk about these as like undisciplined drivers, right? Um, I like to think of it in a slightly different way because it's more an infrastructure challenge to me. When you put that many cars on that small of a road and then you have this very sort of uh, insufficient level of driver education, you end up in that situation, right? And that's more of a resource constraint than it is really a moral failing. And the best counter example to this is mask mandates. So if there is actually a sort of level of discipline that sort of the West has above the East or above like these developing countries, you should have seen equivalent adoption of a new concept like mask mandates. But you saw there was a very different sort of reaction to mask mandates here versus mask mandates back home. Like people were far more willing to sort of do things to help the collective public health. Um, versus here, you could say there's a very ill-disciplined, in a way, approach there. And if you sort of assign the difference in those two approaches back to the people's moral character, you can end up with the opposite conclusion to what you end up with the drivers, uh, which is probably not true with either, right? It's more like the national sort of psyche is different here. You have more freedom, personal rights versus collectivism. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because obviously that it's not we're not genetically different. We're all just humans, so wherever you've been born i guess but i guess people maybe in developed countries put their individual liberty over most things maybe that's why the mask mandates were a bit difficult for them or was challenging whereas in developing countries way more serious like way more things to worry about than your personal liberty being at risk you know like expand on the mask mandate and think about like lockdowns and curfew and how much people protest about it compared to like um, a, a different country. Uh, and like there you see the clear difference as well. And then that's added, um, added points. Yeah. I think it's people just have more pressing, sh- pressing things to worry about. Um, I think your personal liberty and all that stuff is probably, you know, down the list of your priorities. There's other things like how, do, how am I going to find my next meal, which is probably at the top, right? And I know that might be a reason why with things like this, there's more compliance in developing countries. Yeah, and the, I guess the broader point is, like whatever behavior you see in these countries versus those countries, they're usually not down to sort of a person's difference in character. 
uh, it's more just about like sort of the circumstances surrounding that system, right, or that incident, right. So like, um, and and the inability to see that le leads to people being very critical of sort of lots of things back home, um, versus you like I don't think people understand how much uh, how much easier it is for a politician here to actually write policy versus a Sri Lankan politician. I don't so like when I say this it's with the caveat that Sri Lankan politicians are immensely corrupt individuals. <laughs> but yeah, agree. they also, the country does function as well. Like people have buses to go to work. They have trains to go to work. When people speak of the government in Sri Lanka, they speak about the government as like this unspeakably corrupt beast who can't do anything well. But there is a lot they do well, right? So if you think of climate change, for example, Sri Lanka's climate change commitments to the world are far ahead of what Australia are committing. And this is historically Sri Lanka has taken much less from the world in a way because they're a small emitter of uh, sort of fossil fuels, um, sorry, small emitter of greenhouse gases, despite being an equivalent size country to Australia until like very recently. Um, yeah, so you, you need to sort of, my broader point is you need to look at the good as well uh, when you are critiquing, critiquing the bad. It's sometimes very easy for us because we've come from this, you know, worship the West mentality, which was sort of ingrained into us by force uh, to see everything that's Western as good and everything that's sort of Sri Lankan or local as bad. And that's a very dangerous mentality to live with because you end up sort of uh, regressing towards a monoculture. Um, you lose all sense of national identity. Everyone just speaks English. Everyone dresses the same. Everyone makes the same food. It's all just very boring when there is a lot of individual differences to be celebrated. That was very well put, and like very nice. it was like we came like full circle on the point we started up um, like half an hour ago, basically. <laughs> um, all right, I think. Do you guys remember when back in school, uh, we used to have like um, religion classes and a religion period per se at the on Friday uh, end of the week everyone's just drained after school all the trauma basically and they put in like a religious class um at the it's end a of worst the day, time worst time to put in yeah and they expect people like sit down and listen to a discourse um I'm talking like any religion basically and um I did yeah uh, Duma did yeah and there was a certain section of of uh, um of students that just decided to uh, say to to hell with it and then they just went to uh, a religion class um that was different to their like historical uh religion basically like the buddhist students were in the non-rc class is what i'm getting at uh, anyone who listens who remembers this will uh will relate to it i think um Let's talk about that and um, how that came out, came about to be, and the consequences of what happened when uh, those set of students got caught. So I guess the story that Dulane is allude, alluding to is uh, when one day uh, two administrators um, at at our school walked into the was it the non RC class? I think we were in the non RC class, right? The non RC class and asked everyone there. Um, like who's not non-RC here, right? So like who's not a Christian? 
and like I would say a majority of the class were not Christian. So for context, it's very easy to know that there are non-Christians in the class because our grade probably had 300 kids and 80 to 90 percent of them were uh, Buddhist. So when people, there are like a good 80 people in the non-Nazi class, <laughs> you, you know that there are some Buddhists in here. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, sort of the interesting event there is after they found out that there were a lot of Buddhists here, they talked, to, they went into this tirade about how uh, for years, like the uh, British especially and the Dutch and the Portuguese before that have been trying to impose Christianity or Roman Catholicism on, on, on Sri Lanka as a nation and how there's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears over the last sort of 500 years or 570 years at that point to fight against this and protect sort of the local uh, culture surrounding Sinhalese Buddhism. Um, and at that point, like, so, you know, I was a big atheist Andy at this point, so I was like very much against all religion. And uh, I had a sort of very negative reaction to that statement because I thought I thought it was very insensitive to everyone who was there. Um, and I still do think it was immensely insensitive. But I do start I'm, I am starting to slowly see a thread of truth in that statement. Um, and yeah, I just think that's an interesting sort of evolution in how I've been thinking since I actually moved to Australia, to be honest. Yeah, fair. Because... I have this issue that I'm dealing with internally, like been has been for a while, which is sort of what that national identity, right? Like or cultural identity of, because I mean, people are like, yeah, you know, you're Sri Lankan, right? And okay, okay, I am. But then I look into it, and the the more back you go through history, it's it 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 has changed so much. It keeps changing the more back, like the more you go, and. In the end, I don't even know who I am, right? And that's with any culture. So I don't know if I'm just, you know, trying to, trying to grasp at like straws, right? Like I'm, I'm not. I don't know what my identity is. So I've sort of just decided, you know, like going back to sort of, let's say Stoicism and Seneca, right? It talks a lot about. Um, cause I think they actually invented the word cosmopolitan, right? A polytan of the universe. Um, but that's kind of my mindset now because I'm trying to think of, you know, what Sri Lanka is and I can't really think of, like, like I don't know what Sri Lanka is and it's changed so much through time. And what's your, what's your thought about that, Tarita? Yes, I think I agree broadly with the point that there is no Sinhal, uh, Sinhalese Buddhist or no Sri Lankan sort of singular identity. And anyone who sort of alludes to such an identity usually has an ulterior motive uh, to create sort of an ethno state or something horrible like that. Um, so, yeah, I agree with that broad point. But I feel like, so, like, if you think of Stoicism, right, like there is a lot of Stoic value um, in Buddhism as well. Like, there is a massive overlap between those two things. Um, but, anyways, that's a sort of tangent. I mean, broad, sorry. sorry, I was going to say, like, there's almost this, like, revisionist idea that um, Sri Lanka was some kind of pure singular Buddhist utopia before the white man showed up, uh, which is not true at all. Yeah, um, no, yeah. There's yeah, been very so complicated many history, right? Yeah, it's super yeah. complicated. And any place in history, you just put a point in the map, like point in the map, and then go there. And there's been that it's still it's surviving. Like there's a culture. If there's a culture, that's because there's been lots of wars through history for that culture to survive. Right. 
um, it's not easy. It's not, you know, um, this beautiful, you know, cultural utopia, like the Luna say, hasn't been there, like this eternal culture. It's, you know, it's, it's at some point in this culture that we have now, it's from some invasion, right? So it's not even yours. It's like, about just like, being assimilated. Yeah. Like even now, like most of the culture at, at the present is like, a huge a huge influence that has been from the colonial culture and like like yeah. baila literally it's like my view is every since every um single culture is a product of war is a product of mixing across different sort of cultures over time the sort of trying to identify yourself as a singular sort of pu- or trying to assign some level of purity to your sri lankan identity is probably a futile task um the way i view it is there is still a difference between myself if i grew up the way i did which is in sri lanka versus if i grew up here in australia um and i think that difference should be celebrated because there is a lot of difference uh, sorry good in that difference because as i said earlier like you know if everyone sort of keeps acting for their best economic incentive right so their best economic incentive is to act to speak english to act white to be sort of very meek and submissive in these spaces you'll end up just like losing all of the color on earth because if like everything is just going to like die uh, sorry converge to the economically dominant culture at the time which is the us right and like you kind of see that in australia right because it, there's studies uh, linguistical studies in australia which show that lots of australian school kids are try are starting to lose their traditional australian accents and they're starting to speak more like the americans um in a lot of their sort of intonation which i think is a very interesting phenomenon right and like um is something that can eventually happen across the world um yeah, yeah. and it spreads very fast now like faster than you think because of yeah. the because of internet and social media and tiktok right <laughs> like it's a it's it's happening very fast and that's true and even accents like that's a whole that's a whole whole topic like yeah. us coming here and then dealing with accents and yeah maybe maybe that's a, that's a that's a topic for another episode yeah the closing point i guess one of the closing points is that language culture things that people have fought very hard for in the past especially through colonialism where there was a massive effort a deliberate effort to make everyone into a single culture speak english play cricket uh, that's your national sport now um and all of those things right but like the thing is it's really hard to uh, deliberately suppress a culture like that you can't take a language out of a culture without sort of very high levels of brutal force uh, which you kind of see in parts of australia with indigenous communities who have sadly lost their languages right um but you know like when a language comes through that i think it's very important to really uh language and culture to preserve that language and culture as much as you can um and also try to celebrate it as much as you can um but still sort of make sure that you keep fixing yourself as well like you don't there is a there is a very small line or very thin line between being overly reverential of the flaws of your culture and then being completely like against it and trying to like sort of you know eliminate it off the face of the earth um yeah yeah good thank you cuz yeah um um like i said i've been yeah, trying to wrap my head around what that is you know for me personally and i think i think that was good thank you yeah um i think that pretty much uh 
brings us to the end of the podcast, right? We we spoke about a whole bunch of things, and I think in the end, even though Duma said that we don't know what we're going to talk about, we did like stick to a certain direction, and uh, we got a whole bunch of. Uh, yeah, I think I think I didn't know, like yeah we didn't have a plan, yeah. but I think what we kind of converged to is the the idea of a national identity, right? Like what that means and how that's changed through time, um, in Sri Lanka at least. And um and it's you know it's really good to get Tarita on as well because he obviously knows what he's talking about. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> high expectations. We hope, we hope he <laughs> lived up to the expectations that them uh, uh, set uh, at the start of the episode. Um, that just like yeah, so like thanks again for joining us. Um, it was a great conversation, and um, yeah, personally. We've got a lot out of it and hopefully everyone listening has also been able to relate to it. And uh, yeah, let us know what you think as well. Um, send in a message, uh, put it put it down in any of the comments, um, anything. Uh, we'd love to hear from you as well. Yeah, um, boys, I think uh, it's getting, it's a Saturday evening. So I'll let you guys uh, enjoy that sweet sweet freedom <laughs>